Welcome to Shatterproof. I am your host, Todd Callahan. LGBTQIA plus is the conversation today and the church's response to it. You don't want to miss this conversation. Share this podcast. Share this episode. It's going to be powerful. You can connect with me online at IgniteChurchVT.com. You can find me on Instagram at Pastor Todd Callahan, or you can download our app by searching your Google Play Store and your app store for Ignite Church VT. This is going to be a powerful conversation. You don't want to miss it. We are right in the middle of a culture war right now all over America. If you haven't noticed, from border to border, coast to coast, there is a fight for truth. There is a fight for morality. And we are seeing the Disney Corporation right in the midst of all of this. And as a former past member of of six, uh, there, uh, you know, four, we have four children, my wife and I, there were six of us that were past members years and years ago to all four parks. We had annual passes. I tell you, I wish I never would have given Disney a penny of my money. But in the same token, there are many other companies around the nation and throughout the world that we give our money to who just aren't at the forefront of this LGBTQIA discussion right now. And we're still pumping money into those corporations and helping them push this agenda. Well, you know, the Walt Disney Company, one of the world's biggest media and entertainment empires, prides itself on a lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, um, friendly culture. And, and, and. We are seeing them at the forefront of this conversation. They've got workers that have been staging walkouts and protests of the Florida legislation, which doesn't even say don't say gay, but um, it, it's a controver- controversial bill to them because they don't believe that um, schools should be withholding that conversation from kindergarten through third grade. They believe that that's acceptable for your kids. And it just really, truly shows you where we are right now in this culture. I have been disappointed with how so many things can happen in just a week. And our nation has had very few voices willing to confront it, at least from the spiritual side, from the Christian side, and truly go straight to the heart of it. I'm disappointed. And, you know, I've had people challenge me on homosexuality, transgenderism, bisexualism over the years. And yet we have yet to have a voice willing to stand in a significant way. But I'm grateful that uh, just yesterday, um, uh, uh, Brother Sean Foyt, great guy, um, and, and some other pastors in my in my um, pastors network went out to um, uh, Disney headquarters. I believe it's in Pasadena, California, and began to worship, began to pray against that spirit that is permeating that area that is making its way into Disney movies, which apparently it's been there for a while. You just really have to pay attention. Um, then there's other movies um, that they're creating, I guess, like Lightyear. There's one called Lightyear that's coming out. I mean, I got grandkids. I don't want my grandkids watching that garbage. They should not be exposed to uh, gays kissing on a Disney cartoon. Is, 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 there, is there no morality anymore in, inside of these, these corporations that are influencing and reaching our kids? There's an article in the New York Times that just came out. The title of it is The Growing Religious Fervor in the American Right. This is a Jesus movement. And um, it goes on to talk about... Um, how there was a, a, a prayer vigil where they were singing Waymaker and, 
And um, they go on to say, this was not a church service. It was a worship for a new kind of congregation, a right-wing political movement powered by divine purpose whose adherents find spiritual sustenance in political action. Well, here's here's a news flash for you, um, those writing at the New York Times. Um, it's not a right-wing movement. It's a kingdom movement. This has nothing to do with conservatism. It has nothing to do with Republicans or Democrats or independents. It has absolutely nothing to do with a constitution. It has everything to do with the word of God and the fact that we have been called to bring God's kingdom. And there's a remnant on the earth right now that are alive and well and have woken up to the fact that they've got to be on the forefront of this culture or we're going to lose it. So it's not a right-wing political movement powered by divine purpose. It's a kingdom movement powered by the people of God who've been given the keys of the kingdom, who've been given all authority and all power to go into all the nations and preach the gospel. They go on to say this right-wing political activity is becoming a holy act. It's not an act. Now, this is, understand, these, converse, th- th- these comments are coming from people who probably don't have a spiritual bone in their body. They go on to say these Christians are joining secular members of the right wing, including media-savvy opportunists and those touting disinformation, opposing vaccine mandates to promote uh, and, and also promoting election conspiracy theories. For many, pandemic restrictions that temporarily closed houses of worship accelerated their distrust of government and made church going political. Well, let me tell you something. Christians didn't make church going political. My governor in Montpelier, Vermont, Phil Scott, the attorney general of this state, the health commissioner, Mark Levine, all of those guys are, are what made it or who made it political here in Vermont. I didn't make it political. They made it political. They tried to tell us we couldn't gather for the sake of, of, of all of humanity. We're not going together. We're going to stay apart from each other. Well, that's easy for you to say because you're a non-spirit-led individual who doesn't have a relationship with God. Of course, it's okay for you to say that. You're not walking with Jesus. You don't have a personal relationship with your Savior. You don't understand that the Bible says to not forsake the assembling of the saints, as is the habit of some. You're okay watching stuff online. You're okay being being, using using media for uh, whatever spiritual influence you have because you don't understand the power of coming together as the corporate body of Christ and worshiping together and breaking open the word of God together. It wasn't a political act. You tried to get in the way of what God was trying to do in and through his people, and we blocked it. We blocked it. They go on to say, with spiritual mission, driving political ideals, the stakes of any conflict, whether over masks or school curriculums, can feel that much larger and can feel that with much larger and compromise can be even more difficult to achieve. Political ambitions come to be about defending God, pointing to a desire to build a nation that actively promotes a a particular set of Christian beliefs. Absolutely. This is our territory to take as the people of God, and it's time for us to take it. Worship elements embedded into these events are recognizably evangelical. There's prayer and proclamation, shared rituals and stories. The most powerful element, however, is the music. The anthems of the contemporary evangelical church, many of which were written in just the last few years, are blending with rising political anger, becoming the soundtrack to a new fight. 
I love how they sit there and they, they try to put down the new songs that are being written um, and just say that's for the contemporary church, uh, not understanding that just because it's not bound in a hymnal that is falling apart uh, doesn't mean they're not hymns. Do you understand that every new song you sing in church is a hymn? <laughs> it's a song. That's the definition of a hymn. It's a song. A hymn is not, a, is not an old religious song that's bound in a hardback book that's sitting in the pew in front of you at, at, at your denominational church. That's not the definition of a hymn. That's how cultures defined it. But every time you sing on Sunday morning, whether, that's, whether that song was written yesterday or whether that song was written 200 years ago, it's still a hymn. But see, these people don't understand that. They're writing from a place they have no influence from. They're writing from a place they have not been educated on. They go on to say a growing belief among conservative Christians is that the United States is on the cusp of a revival, one where spiritual and political change are bound together. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. There are times when the Supreme Court of the United States makes decisions and upheaval begins and everybody begins to look for a leader. Why are they looking for a spiritual leader? Because of the immorality that's happening at the judicial level and the judicial system of our government. And, and, and let me be honest with you. When I see pastors ducking and dodging and dancing around all of these issues, I don't understand it. There's five types of leaders in fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Some were taught that they all died except for pastors. That's the reason the church is in the shape it's in because you're trying to build a house with only one tool. But the only thing that we acknowledge anymore is a pastor. And a pastor's main gift is mercy and, and shepherd you and tell you it's going to be okay. I, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I pastor a church, but I, I, you know, that's not my dominant gift. I'm more apostolic. I, I've searched and looked all over the internet and I have seen public releases and whatnot, but I have not really heard a significant teaching on homosexuality and what it means for the church. I have really not heard anyone preach about transgenderism. I told our church a couple of weeks ago, I said, listen, homosexuals are welcome in our church, just like every other person who's battling a sin in their life is. If you're transgender, you're welcome to come in our church. But guess what? We're not going to change the preaching of the gospel because you try to intimidate me by sitting in the seat. I'm still going to preach an uncompromised gospel. And if it offends you, then so be it. The word of God is supposed to offend to bring change. It's supposed to offend to bring realignment. And if you don't agree with what I say, I hope that you hear my heart and I hope you, you, you hear my heart, uh, you know, above and beyond any, anything that's happening in the culture that they're saying about Christians because all of us agree on enough that the word of God galvanizes us. I'm not mad or upset at people in America because I belong to Jesus. I don't say this in an arrogant way, but I don't fear men or fear church people or what a community says. I don't fear what the media says. I don't fear what, what, what political culture says. I don't fear a movement or a community of activists. The only one I fear is God. And because I fear him, I've poured myself into this to try and represent him the best way I know how. And pastors are beginning to feel a lot of pressure right now. And there are people watching and listening to find out how they can, they can attack the church. And I've poured over scriptures to put, um, uh, you know, to wrap my brain around everything that's happening in the culture right now. And this is my standard. I will speak the truth and I do it in love. That should be our standard as believers. This is not opinion or how I was raised. This is truth. 
I'm not the enemy of those involved in homosexual lifestyles. And if you leave, uh, you know, a, a, a circle where, where they've made you feel that way, you need to understand you are not the enemy of those involved in homosexual lifestyles. I'm not against those that practice the lifestyle. I love them as I do all people and care about them deeply. That's why I want to see the power of God come in and change their life. Homosexuality is an abomination unto God. Transgenderism is an identity crisis saying that God made a mistake in the way he created you. And it's amazing to me the amount of Christians that will say, well, pastor, just, you know, give them a break and, you know, don't be so hard on the situation. Don't really, you know, come after them right now. Just kind of, you know, take your hands off of it. Don't, don't make too much, uh, you know, noise about it. Just kind of leave, leave them alone. Well, well, that's not speaking truth in love. That's agreeing with an identity crisis that the enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy the purpose and plan of God for their life. I want you to hear what the press secretary, Jen Psaki, had to say today on behalf of um, medical professionals all over the nation who are trying to defend um, everything that's happening in this transgender conversation right now. And other legislators who are contemplating these discriminatory bills have been put on notice by the Department of Justice and the Department of Health and Human Services that laws and policies preventing care that healthcare professionals recommend for transgender minors may violate the Constitution and federal law. To be clear, every major medical association agrees that gender affirming healthcare for transgender kids is a best practice and potentially life saving. All of this begs an important question what are these policies actually trying to solve for? LGBTQI plus people can't be erased or forced back into any closets, and kids across our nation should be allowed to be who they are without the threat that their parents or their doctor could be imprisoned simply for helping them and loving them. But so let's take the conversation back to the word of God. Train up a child in the way they should go so when they are old, they will not depart from it. Are you going to give the power of that scripture to your public school system? Are we going to give that power to, to these lost and confused teachers standing in classrooms that are, that, are, that are supposed to be teaching your children math, science, grammar? Every major medical association agrees that gender-affirming health care for transgender kids is the best practice and potentially life-saving. These people are insane. So let me ask you a question. What is everybody fighting about? The conflict is love versus a standard. We're being told that Jesus said to love everybody and don't judge. Jesus made those statements and, 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 and I'll explain that in a minute. But the conflict is that you've got your, your, your love group that says we're supposed to love everybody and not judge anybody. And you've got your group on the other side that says, well, are we at a place in culture where just anything goes anymore? Where's the line? Is there a line? And if we keep backing up, then where do we draw the line? What will be pressed inside the walls of our sanctuary if we don't care about anything anymore? It's a very difficult place because I'm under a command to love. I've not been given an opinion. And in our church here at Ignite Church, we understand a kingdom, and a kingdom is not a democracy. And when a king gives out a command, it's not up for a vote. And I'm under command to love. 
But at the same time, there is this love thing. There are standards, standards I've been commanded to keep. And I hear most of the people from the homosexual uh, LGBTQIA community quoting Jesus and the pastors who embrace the love element usually go back to Jesus. I even heard a female, uh, this is this is amazing to say, but a female homosexual pastor, and I use those words loosely, online who said, I want to tell you everything Jesus said about homosexuality. And then she went silent. And that lady would be correct because Jesus never mentioned it. But the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John contain the words of Jesus. And the gospels clearly state that we do not have everything Jesus said, and we do not have everything that Jesus did. One writer said, if we could have tried to to script everything Jesus said and everything he did, the books of the world could not contain it. So what I would say to those pastors is, yes, Jesus said you are to love but I'm a guy who gets real upset when people build a doctrine around two or three scriptures because the Bible doesn't say in the last days people wouldn't put up with church. He said people are no longer going to receive sound doctrine. Doctrine is the opinion that is formed when you look at God's whole concept from Genesis to Revelation, you have a formed doctrine. Now, every individual verse is a truth, but a doctrine is when you have looked at everything God said on the subject and you come out with an overriding truth which we call doctrine. And the Bible clearly states that in the last days, people are going to still read the Bible and still be interested in the Bible, but they will not look at God's whole and complete concept. They will pull pieces out of the whole book and let it mean what they want it to mean. So all the pastors that are quoting Jesus understand there are 66 books in the Bible, not four. And all 66 of them are the word of God, not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which contains the word of Jesus. Genesis to Revelation is the word of God. I can't go and pick four books out of 66 and say, this is what God said. That's the same thing if you took 15 seconds out of of my one-hour message on a Sunday or however long I preach because I don't put a time clock on it and try to make sense of it. And when you talk about the truth of God, you have to go back to what did God mean, not what did I want it to say. So what was God's original intent? In Hebrews chapter 12, I'm just going to read this to you quickly. Verse 5, he says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are Reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? (laughs) There's a lot of them in 2022. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, excuse me, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? So like you have a natural father that disciplines you in the flesh, when you get born again spiritually, God is responsible for the discipline, disciplining of your spiritual life. He's the father, the head of your spiritual walk. I, I recently heard a pastor say, you know what? Jesus told me to love and I'm all about love. Well, listen, love does not give you what you want. Love gives you what you need. So I would have asked the pastor, if love is your standard, what is love's standard? Because if I let my kids do whatever they want, I don't love them. You're going to be home when I tell you to be home. Why? Because I don't want anything out there to hurt you. 
Love has boundaries. Love has rules. Love has chastening. Love has a rebuke. All of those are part of love. Love is not allowing you to harm yourself while someone sits back and does nothing while they observe it. I don't love you if I watch you self-destruct and say nothing to you. I love you when I speak up and I see harmful and hurtful things that I see you doing in your life. So I'm not your friend if you can go off and hit your self-destruct button and, 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 and I sit back and clap while you spiral out of control. I'm only a friend when I see things come out of you that put you in harm's way and tell you I'm worried about your careless behavior and, 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 and find you in a dangerous place in life. I have to care about the people I'm running with because if I really love you, love has boundaries. All right, let's dig into this for a minute. I've studied most of the scriptures that deal with homosexual behaviors and lifestyle, and I noticed right away that there was a parallel, and it's always associated with idolatry. It paralleled idolatry every time I read it but once. Somebody has just turned away from God and started the worship of idols. The first time it was mentioned was in Exodus when Moses took his time coming down the mountain and they began to partake in homosexual activity. And then when he came down the mountain, he saw them in their activity. He broke the tablets holding the Ten Commandments because they had broken those commandments. But the Bible says they began to worship a calf in the absence of Moses. Understand, people will always worship idols in the absence of strong leadership. So if preachers and pastors across America don't speak up right now about what's happening in the homosexual community and the transgender community, all of this identity crisis that's happening right now, if preachers and pastors across America don't speak up right now, we're going to turn into a bunch of idol worshipers. There are several other times, but I don't want to bog down on that, but I want to identify the parallel because idolatry today is different. There are not many places in America where people are carving out images in stones or bowing down to statues, maybe around the world, but not much in America. But idolatry in America in 2022 looks much different, but yet is the very same in what they dealt with in, in, in Hebrew times. So this is what I've noticed idolatry looking like today. We have to understand that when we say we are a Christian, the word of God and Jesus Christ become the center of your universe. In other words, it is the sun and you revolve around it. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. He said his words are life and his words are true. So I know the person Jesus and I know the word of God is the truth. So that means everything in my life that does not line up with that, God will not rearrange what he thinks will suit my conditions. I'm supposed to rearrange my passions, my behaviors, my conduct, my lifestyle, my attitude and my thoughts. Why? to adhere to the truth of God because I know it is the truth that sets me free. So wherever it is that I can align my life with truth, liberty is immediately going to come to that area of my life. This is why Christians and freedom always go together inside the conversation. The culture doesn't understand that. They connect freedom as an American as an American traditionalistic type freedom and look at all these religious zealots that are worshiping and singing songs and connect it to, to uh, you know, what's happening in the culture right now and say they keep crying for, for freedom. They keep crying for, for um, 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 truth as it relates to American culture. That's not what we're doing. We're speaking truth inside of an American culture, but that truth comes out of, out of a completely different place that's not a democracy, and it's called the kingdom of God. 
If you come to the truth sexually, liberty will come to your sex life. If you come to the truth in your thought life, liberty will come to your mind. If you come to the truth in your attitude, liberty will come to your attitude. If you come to the truth in your marriage, you'll find liberty in your marriage. If you come to the truth in your money, liberty will be in your money. In this day and time, here is our idolatry. We don't start with what God wants. We start with what we want. And then after we determine the lifestyle that we desire to live, we go looking for the church that goes preaching that Jesus. I came out of Orlando, Florida, pastored a church in Orlando, Florida for quite a while. And, and there was over 2000 churches just in metropolitan Orlando at the time. I'm sure there's many more now. So what happens is that people decide the way they want to live and then they go find a church they go to the buffet in the city that they live in and try to find a church and a Jesus that fits their lifestyle. So now we're not bowing to statues that have been erected out of stone. We're bowing down to a version of Jesus in our mind that we have fashioned after our own wants and after our own desires. Jesus is not concerned about suiting your lifestyle. For those Christians who think Jesus is standing there waiting for you with longing eyes and holding you know, a baby lamb and you've got a picture of, you know, a version of Jesus in your mind that you saw a picture on grandma's wall and he's, and he's standing in a white robe with a purple sash and he's just smiling and, and you know, he's got crystal blue eyes and long flowing blonde hair. Let me tell you something. Number one, Jesus didn't look like that. But number two, he's not concerned with suiting your lifestyle. He's concerned about making you his bride without a spot or wrinkle. He's not interested in conforming to you. He's interested in you conforming to the image of his son. Because you don't start with you and then find the church that preaches the Jesus that matches what you want. You start with who is the real Jesus and find a church that will preach to you an uncompromised gospel and bring you into a place of change and transformation. I love every homosexual, every transgender, every person that is fighting for their identity. I love them. But in order for us to see true and pure change and transformation come to their life, we must preach an uncompromised gospel that is not watered down to tickle the ears of this culture. What does the Bible say about the subject of homosexuality? Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. The word abomination means direct rebellion against God. That is the Hebrew meaning of this word for a male lying with a male or same lying with same is a direct rebellion against God. Who is the father of rebellion? Satan is. Rebellion originated and had its roots in Satan himself. He directly rebelled against the God of heaven and was cast out of his abode as Jude uh, um, verse six says because of that rebellion. It is a direct rebellion an abomination, and is aligning yourself with the same sin as the father of rebellion. Leviticus 18.23 says, And you shall not have intercourse with any animal to be defiled with, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. Do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. So when it is made okay, it doesn't no longer defile the person, it now defies the people. He says, which I am casting out before you. Remember this. He says, for the land has become defiled. Therefore, I have brought 
its punishment upon it, so the land has spewed or vomits out its inhabitants. Satan cast out, and here twice we see a spewing or a casting out. 1826, Leviticus. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. Now, Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness suppressing the truth, don't want it spoken, backing you into a corner saying, if you don't love what I am, what I identify as, then you are a bigot, you're homophobic, you're transphobic, and you don't love me. So they try and make it where we can't talk about it. Suppressing the truth by unrighteousness. Scripture goes on to say, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Romans 1.22 says, professing to be wise, they became fools. So now we have our government telling our faith communities, we need to get with the times. We need to catch up. We need to stop preaching against homosexuality and speaking against transgenderism. They're not confused. They're just stepping into who they truly are. Romans 1.23, and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. What did verse 18 say? It said the wrath of God is being poured out. Then he tells you why. What does the wrath of God look like? We think of fire, lightning, thunder, etc. But the wrath of God is God turning you over to yourself, to your lusts, to your want-tos, to your selfish desires, to your impurities, to your iniquities, to your proclivities. When God backs up and tells you you're on your own, that's the wrath of God. Because Ephesians 2 says we are by nature objects of wrath. It is in our nature to destroy ourselves without God's intention. And God said, if you keep resisting me, I will turn back and give you over, not to Satan, but turn you over to yourselves. Romans 125, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. It doesn't say you weren't saved. It doesn't say you're getting thrown out of heaven. It doesn't say the devil's going to get you. It says the penalty is built into the act. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women 
exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. I want you to get this. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Didn't say God doesn't love them. It says the penalty is built into the action. You're not built to take that. Now that is about the gay and lesbian community, but let's talk about the church for a minute. This is why I don't have many friends. I'm not afraid to speak truth. Can you be a homosexual and be saved? Why is it that there are some transgenders and some homosexuals that are okay sitting in a church and they can hear the kingdom of God preached and they're still unchanged? Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Salvation is God's to give to those that believe in their heart and confess with their mouth. And the Bible says later in Romans 10 that all people that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So if that's the case, can you be a homosexual and be saved? According to my Bible, there are no conditions put on salvation other than you believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, and the moment you start putting any conditions on salvation, it no longer belongs to God, it belongs to you. The requirements for salvation is to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and make that confession with your mouth. It's not a changing of lifestyle. It's not a change of code of conduct, behavior, or anything that you can do to win him over. God forever took salvation out of your hand and put it in his hand. It is the gift of God to give. You decide what you will do with that gift, but God gives it. You don't earn it. God gives it. How does he give it? He gives it through faith. According to my Bible, there are no other conditions. And if this is going to be the case, if you're going to tell me that someone sitting in churches that are transgender and gay can't be saved and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, then I'm going to tell you the person who's addicted to alcohol, the person that's addicted to pornography, the person that's addicted to all kinds of lust and ungodly behavior, the person that's addicted addicted to all of the, to, to drugs, the person that's got all these proclivities and iniquities deep within their spirit, all these secret sins, then they can't be saved either if that's your excuse. God is bringing this to the forefront of the people of God because the conversation is getting real inside of the four walls of the local church. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor affirmites, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you need to just lay off the wine and the beer. Come on. Pastor, the Bible doesn't say not to drink, right? But you get intoxicated every time because you don't have willpower to stop after one or two. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So you want to sit here and say that we shouldn't allow homosexuals and, and, and transgenders into the church? Well, then maybe we should say that same thing about people who get intoxicated on a regular basis. And then they step up on your platform and they play drums or bass, piano. They sing on your team. They, they're serving in youth ministry. Come on, serving in men's ministry. Let me be real. 
See, we've got all of these things that we make provision for because people do it themselves and because they do it themselves, they're okay with it. And then they see transgenderism and homosexuality happening in the culture and say, well, we can't let those people in the church. How are we supposed to reach them? And this is exactly why we're in the place we are right now, because we've judged everybody so heavily handedly, so heavy, heavy handedly, and we've not allowed them to come into the, to, to, to a local house of worship and hear an uncompromised gospel. What they hear is we're to love everybody. And then they get in the face of somebody out in culture and they're yelled at and screamed at and shouted at and told how God hates them because they're homosexual or God hates them because they're a transgender. Listen, God did did not create them that way. They are fighting a proclivity. They are fighting confusion. They are fighting an identity crisis that has been brought on by the power of the enemy. They are being ruled by the prince and power of the air who comes to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God is desiring for their life. Can you imagine the power of the testimony of somebody who comes out of transgenderism, who's saved and set free, and they walk out of homosexuality, and they begin to live a life of power and authority inside the kingdom of God. You can go do what you want, but God is not going to stop you. But all things are not lawful and helpful. You can do it and still may be a Christian, but get ready for the penalty. He's saying you can do it, but you better watch out because one day you think you've got it figured out and you turn around and find out it's got you. Food is for the stomach, the Bible says, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them, yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? So we have to believe, confess, and call on his name. We can be saved? Yes, according to the Bible. But then you have to understand that although things may be lawful, you may squeak into heaven. Not all things are beneficial because in God's mind, the minute you called on him and received him, you belong to him. You don't belong to yourself anymore. So you're already conflicted if you've already, if you, if you confess him, but think you still belong to you. In other words, don't confess him until you're ready to give yourself up. So we want to know, can homosexuals go to heaven? The Bible says they, can, they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not heaven. It preaches good. It sings good in some of our songs. The kingdom of God is in the earth. The kingdom of God is in the earth by way of the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He said, Those that practice this lifestyle can be saved, but you can't have the kingdom. Can you be saved? Yes. Can they receive the kingdom? No. Because the kingdom is righteousness, right standing, me and God are parallel, not contradicting each other. And when you seek first the kingdom, all these things, righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit will be added unto you. He says you're seeking things and you don't have any peace. You're seeking things and you're looking worn out and dead. He's saying you don't care about my standards, so can you be saved? Yes, but it's not about that. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I don't want to go to heaven one day and live in hell here. Leviticus 18.28, so that the land will not spew you out should you defile it as it has spewed out the nation which has been before you. What is the land? It's their inheritance. 
These that follow this will not inherit the kingdom of God. To operate in these lifestyles is not to say you're going to hell. You are forfeiting what God has purposed for you in this time in your life. Can you be saved? Yes, I believe you can, according to the word of God. How are we going to pick out homosexuality and transgenderism and say, well, they can't possibly ever be saved while they're living in that lifestyle? See, now you're beginning to get into classification of sin. The Bible specifically talks about, we can put every sin in three categories, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Every single sin can be, can be grouped into one of those three categories. So if we're going to say that you can't, you can't possibly be saved and be a homosexual and a transgender and sit in church, then we can't say that someone who's dealing with alcohol addiction or pornography addiction or all kinds of proclivities and, and iniquities, we can't, we, we, then we'll have to apply the same thing to them. You can't be sitting in church and be living that kind of lifestyle because you, you've put another idol before God. So how could you possibly be saved? You can say the same thing about homosexuals and transgenders. Come on, church. Can you become God's original intent? I do not believe you can. And the Bible says that every time you get ready to inherit, if you practice these lifestyles, your inheritance will spit you back out. Every time you're about to possess greatness that God's plan for you and this lifestyle is active, it will vomit you back out. It will keep you outside the gate of your inheritance. So you will be an outsider looking in at what you could have been. They're never going to get this scripture. They're never going to get the word. They're never going to experience love inside of the sinfulness of the lifestyle that they've decided to live if we keep them outside the four walls of the church. The church has got to be an embracing uh, um, um, element right now in this culture. Not to sit there and condemn, not to sit there and, 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 and throw the Bible at them and slam the Bible in front of them and tell them that they're about to be swallowed up in, the, in a lake of fire. We've got to wrap our arms around this culture and quit sugarcoating the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to, to quit making it seem like it's okay that they live this lifestyle. We've got to go at it with love and say this lifestyle is not the way that God is desiring you to live. If you're ever going to walk in power and authority and find truth and relevance inside the kingdom and to find who God created you to be, then you have got to lay down the sinfulness at the altar of, of, of God and allow him to touch you and place a coal of burning fire on this thing and purify and cleanse you from this sinfulness. So the next argument is why are they singled out? Why not? Single out everybody. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the spirit. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. You've been born of the spirit and your body doesn't like it. Galatians 5.18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. This is not the work of Satan. This is not the works of a demon. This is God saying, you yourself can do this and you don't need any help from the devil. You can do this all by yourself. No demonic activity whatsoever. Your flesh has the ability to take you down any one of these highways. Now, Galatians 5.19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. In other words, you can't hide them, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, in nights, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, 
disputes, dissensions, and factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't say anything about not going to heaven. You can't operate like this and have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You just can't. We've had homosexuals and transgenders in our church from time to time. And every time they come up for prayer, they want me to pray for this thing and they want me to pray that for that thing, but they never want to get to the root of what's causing it all. Now, these are works of the flesh. Notice what is not listed because everybody wants us to put adultery, fornication, and homosexuality and all of that stuff in the same category. Well, God lists the sins of the flesh and homosexuality is not listed. That's why we do not place that in the same category. The church is never going to get rid of the flesh. Well, if, if you're not going to let us in, why, why do you let the fornicators and those adulteresses come in? The church is never going to be rid of flesh. And as long as you are in your body, you're going to have to deal with this. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't like God and is always trying to pull you away. I've got to conquer it. I've got to fight it. I've got to manage it, but I'm not going to have another body until I get to heaven. And I've got to fight this thing. But fornication and adultery is not in the same category. So I can't just list them together because he said, this is what your flesh does. And you're never going to get the flesh out of you. I can't bring people to the altar and cast flesh out. Homosexuality in the Hebrew is an outright act of rebellion against God because homosexuality does not originate in the flesh. It originates in the spirit realm. So here we are in culture right now trying to fight something politically that can't be fought politically. It can only be dealt with spiritually. It can only be dealt with spiritually. We're battling this right now in our culture. We are fighting against this. We are, we are fighting against uh, the territory that the enemy has taken in the culture that belongs to God's people. This is the greatest moment to be alive right now in human history because God has destined us for this moment. He's given you a territory to take. He's given you a sphere of influence. Now you need to use that influence of the kingdom and go and change the world. If you've got people who are part of the LGBTQIA community, listen, you have got to express the love of God without compromising the gospel. If you've got their ear, it's time for you to sit down and begin to express the love of Christ through the truth of the word of God and help them understand that God was not confused when he created them. God did not make a mistake when he created them. They've allowed the, 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 the enemy to plague and, 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 and put a covering over their ears because God has been trying to speak truth. He's been trying to speak the relevance of the kingdom to their life. And because their ears have been cut off to the truth of the word of God, they have not heard it. The time is now to release it to them. The time is now for us to be the church to a lost and dying world. Listen, it's the greatest time to be alive right now. Take the territory God's given you. Be a light everywhere you go. And you are going to see the power of God manifested through the Holy Spirit if you'll allow him to use you undefiled, uncompromised, full of truth, full of light. The word, the preceding word of God has gone before you. Now release that word to those who are living life outside of God's intention for their life. Listen, I love you. God's got great things in store for you. You can connect with me online at ignitechurchvt.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Pastor Todd Callahan. 
And you can download our app in your Google Play Store and your app store by searching Ignite Church VT. Listen, I love you. Remember, God's hand is upon you and he's made you shatterproof. I'll see you on another episode.